Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. Oh my God, we most definitely appreciate you. But I have a crisis, Shira, that I have to get off my chest. Okay, you're freaking me out because this comes out of nowhere. What's going on? So my Christmas decorations have not came yet and they're like on back order and they're not going to come literally until uh, I think like the week of Christmas, which is what I feel like, like the Scrooge, like very the Grinch stole Christmas. I have no Christmas decorations. What's happening in my life? I need this to change immediately. I mean, I'm sorry, Ryan. One, thank you for your vulnerability and sharing thanks, this. Thanks. Uh, you know, but that should be like illegal. Like if you someone is ordering Christmas decorations and you say it's going to be somewhere, it should be there. Or you like pay that person. You yeah. give them something. It said I ordered them from Target and they said they were going to get here today. And then I got an email this morning that said they weren't coming until literally the week of Christmas. How dare they? That's wrong. Not to like, we don't want to start the show off complaining, mm-hmm. right? But I do. How, I will. That's, that's like a big gap. It's not just like, oh, it's a few days. Yeah. That ruins the whole spirit of it all. You, you don't have the decoration just for the week of. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out other ways of feeling like the Christmas spirit is in this house. So I've, I've gotten some cinnamon, uh, oh. apple cinnamon candles. Cause I feel like cinnamon is like a very Christmassy smell. And yep. yeah, I'm just trying to, I don't know. Maybe I'll dress up Coco as like Mrs. Claus or something just to make sure I feel Santa like. Yeah, I'm sure she'll appreciate that. <laughs> well, speaking of Christmas, actually, we have someone on talking about a, a horror version of a Christmas movie. Yes, the queer horror parody Christmas movie. You have to see this holiday season. Insane. That's coming up on the show. Insane. Plus, we're breaking down the antitrust lawsuit against Facebook and what the future holds for some of the biggest tech platforms. So that and more on the show today. Uh, but let's get into some what's trending this hour. It's the first day of Hanukkah, everyone. Ooh, Lachayim. Is that, is that it? Yeah, Lachayim. Lachayim. Got it. Yes, I'm Jewish. I I, uh, heard the phlegm there. Uh, (laughs) And President Trump uh, celebrated Hanukkah actually at the White House with many members of the nationwide Jewish community. Here's what he had to share. I want to just wish everybody a very happy Hanukkah. We've got three of you here tonight. Merry Christmas. This is one of our most uh, successful. This is the one that everybody wants tickets to. Uh, a lot of friends, I see the faces, a lot of friends, a lot of talent here. And if you're wondering from the clip, it looks like attendees were wearing masks. I mean, the, he, the, he's still breaking all of the guidelines by doing these special events, which I understand this is a special holiday, but still seems really irresponsible to me. I, I guess you're right, but I'm happy you celebrate Hanukkah. He didn't forget about the Jews. All right. Well, I'm guessing that's the one I have in your corner, huh? Exactly right. Now it's official. There have been over 3,000 American deaths from COVID-19 in a single day, more than on D-Day or 9-11. One million new cases in the span of five days, more than 106,000 people in the hospital. The crisis across the country is pushing medical centers to the breaking point and leaving staff members and public health officials pretty much burnt out. And yeah. at the end, 
like at the end of their rope. Overall, the crisis has left more than 290,000 people dead nationwide with more than 15 million confirmed infections. I mean, I'm never leaving my house at this point. I feel like that's the only way of survival because it's everywhere. You could be going grocery shopping at this point. I feel like the um, data is showing that you can literally be following the rules, going, you know, responsibly to like a grocery store or something, wearing your mask and you could still try, you could get it. Like anything could happen at this point. The numbers are that serious. So I ain't leaving. <laughs> That's why you need your Christmas decorations. Yes. Uh, Something in your life right now. According to Politico, President-elect Joe Biden has tapped Susan Rice to lead the White House Domestic Policy Council as part of the Build Back Better agenda, focusing on racial injustice, immigration, healthcare, and combating the coronavirus pandemic. Now, Rice is 56, a veteran foreign policy official who was former President Barack Obama's ambassador to the United Nations and later his national security advisor. Uh, so that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Also, side note, I really do not like that Build Back Better slogan. It's just not that good. But anyway, let's move on. I have some good news and some bad news in the T Report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. I'm going to start with bad news because I feel like that's very on brand with me. Um, Ellen DeGeneres, a woman who has arguably have had has had the like roughest and toughest year. Um, she just suffered another blow. Um, Ellen has halted production on her talk show after testing positive for the coronavirus. Mm. Uh, she made the announcement to fans herself taking to Twitter to break the news, saying, hi, everyone. I want to let you all know that I tested positive for COVID. Fortunately, I'm feeling fine right now. Um, anyone who has been in close contact with me has been notified, and I am following all proper CDC guidelines. Um, I'll see you all again after the holidays. Stay healthy and safe, and I'm hoping that that is what she does. Um, and maybe all also, this was just a ploy for her not to do the show anymore because she wanted an early Christmas holiday break. Yeah, what a great excuse. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to joke about this. That's but dark. I, yeah, I want her to feel great. And, and I, we don't know if her, her wife, Portia, has it or anything. But as of right now, we know Ellen does have it. So wishing and sending her all the love. Now, moving on to the good news. Taylor Swift has surprised the Swifties for a second time in the pandemic. I mean, this girl is just doing it all in 2020. I mean, she's helping mothers, giving $13,000. We reported it yesterday. Um, you know, now she's releasing a new album, her ninth studio album titled Evermore. It will be releasing tonight at midnight, which, yeah, you're oh. right. She just released another album. Evermore, um, she said, is serving as a sister record to her first surprise record, uh, Folklore, which released in July. Uh, tonight, she's also releasing a music video, which she directed herself for her first single, Willow. Um, Evermore will have 15 tracks on the standard version, but the deluxe version will offer two bonus tracks. I mean, she is really taking those memes seriously, talking about you need to be more productive coming, going like, you know, going into 2020 and coming out of 2020. It's like, it's like wild at this point. I guess she can do it all. Yeah, that's your tea report. Um, your pop culture stories that are trending. I got more coming up next hour. Love it. Okay, coming up, what you need to know about the Hunter Biden federal investigation. The Washington Post joins us for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Federal prosecutors have been investigating Hunter Biden, President-elect Joe Biden's son, to see if he failed to report income from China-related business deals. So what is going on? Well, back with us is national security reporter from The Washington Post, Matt Zapatowski. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So can you explain what's happening and these allegations? Like, what went down? What are they saying? Well, as you mentioned, federal prosecutors, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware, is investigating whether Hunter Biden... Uh, appropriately reported and paid taxes on foreign income he got. They're particularly interested in income he got from China. This is a case that dates back a couple years now to 2018, we're told, but we're hearing about it now because on Tuesday, federal prosecutors served a subpoena on Hunter Biden and some of his associates, and then Hunter Biden himself released a statement revealing to the world, hey, I am under investigation. Republicans have been vicious um, towards, you know, Hunter Biden this entire election season. Um, will this have some blowback on Joe Biden? How is he going to handle this? Because he did 
you know, their transition team did release that statement, but how is this really going to impact him? I think it's going to have a huge impact. I mean, every indication is that this case will continue into his administration and then it will become the problem of his justice department. So he's going to have to decide how can I assure the public that this probe is being conducted independently and fairly when it involves my own son, you know, his attorney general at a higher level will supervise that. They be pressed to appoint a special counsel. Will they be pressed to take other steps to convince the public that it's being handled fairly? Republicans already are pressing for that, even when Biden hasn't even taken office yet. So this is going to be a, a real political football that he's going to have to deal with. And we'll see what he does. He's cast himself as a candidate, as a president-elect, who's not going to interfere with the Justice Department. Now he's going to have a real test when his own son is kind of on the line. I mean, this is awkward to say the least. Not like uh, the Trump uh, sons and daughter weren't investigated also, right? But it just seems like it's interesting how this has set a new uh, a trend of the family of presidents being investigated for things. Have we seen this in the past? President Trump himself was obviously under investigation for a long time too. I mean, the Justice Department basically since 2016 They've been dominated by headlines about high-profile investigations involving president candidates and other family members. So there is some precedent in that respect. Um, But this one, even in that context, is sort of unusual. Here we're learning about it just a month before President-elect Biden takes office. President Trump seems to have shown some frustration that this wasn't revealed sooner, so it Mm -hmm. helped him on the campaign. So this is going to be a big question for them at their confirmation hearing. How would you deal with this? And so will that shape who he chooses for attorney general? It's just, it's a really, really important development. Even at the end of the day, it seems like about a pretty simple. Again, you're hearing from the national security reporter from the Washington Post, Matt Zapatosky right now. Yeah. So just to piggyback off of what you were saying, you know, Trump on Wednesday night tweeted a claim about voters changing their minds if they knew about Hunter Biden. Um, Of course, he added falsely that he won anyway. But I do think about how in 2016, this kind of happened to Hillary Clinton with those emails. Um, Is that kind of the same situation here? Is that possible that we could have seen, you know, a change in voters minds about this thing if they knew about Hunter Biden? It's impossible to go back in time now and say, if the public had known about Hunter Biden's tax investigation, would that have affected the outcome? Joe Biden won by a lot. He won in a lot more states than Clinton did. It doesn't seem like this could have had that impact, but it's just impossible to say now, to sort of go back. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it definitely makes things messy, but it's amazing how, uh, you know, Trump and the family could do so much. And yet when another person does a bit, not even at that level, they're still held to a higher standard, it seems. When you see the difference in like response to, right? Hunter Biden revealed this investigation himself. He suggested that he would be cleared in it, but you didn't hear the words witch hunt or anything like that. So to wrap this up super quickly, how is Joe Biden and what should he be doing when he's picking his nominee for the Justice Department, right? People are going to be really closely looking at if he has ties with this person. Like, how is that going to impact his decision there? Yeah, so uh, Biden has promised that his Justice Department will be independent of the White House. Already he's getting a little bit of flack because one of his top considerations, Doug Jones, one of his qualifications is he is very close with Biden or has a long relationship with Biden. I think this is going to put more pressure on Biden to pick someone who can convince the public that they'll be an independent and fair arbiter of law enforcement. So we'll see how that plays into Well, that was Matt Zapatosky, national security reporter from The Washington Post. Thanks so much. Thank you. Now, coming up on the show, could Facebook be forced to let go of Instagram and WhatsApp, the antitrust lawsuit that could tear apart the company? What you need to know next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. On Wednesday, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission and 48 U.S. state attorneys general filed major lawsuits against Facebook that argue that the social media giant is a monopoly whose anti-competitive practices harm Americans. That's from an article in Vox.com. And the writer joins us right now, Rebecca Heilweil. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So how long was this in the making? 
this doesn't seem to come out of nowhere. Obviously, they've been looking into this for years. Yeah, it's definitely been more than a year long investigation. And there are actually two separate lawsuits, which makes this even more complicated and more intense, both from the Federal Trade Commission, which is a huge deal, as well as basically every state in the country. You know, I think about uh, Facebook's history, like, right, if they didn't have the history that they had in the sense of like the politics and even Mark Zuckerberg, some of his interviews, would they be under the microscope that they're under right now? Like, did Mark kind of shoot himself in the foot? That's a great question. I mean, there's been a lot of pressure on Facebook and interest in the power of Facebook ever since te- ever since 2016 and the 2016 election. It's become a massive company. But I think one of the real problems for Mark Zuckerberg here is that a lot of the communications, the emails that he's made basically really paint a picture that he was trying to, you know, limit competition when Facebook acquired companies like Instagram and WhatsApp, which are also humongous companies Mm -hmm. like Facebook. And so what are they proposing here right now? Uh, What will be the repercussions of these moves they made to become who they are and where they're at today? Yeah, I mean... They're facing it right now. Essentially, these attorneys for the FTC and for these states are saying that the Federal Trade Commission was essentially wrong in allowing Facebook to purchase Instagram and WhatsApp and is saying that now Facebook should be forced to sell both of them and make Instagram and WhatsApp separate companies from Facebook. So how should social media users kind of react to this, right? Because I think about the entrepreneurs, the small businesses, the influencers who often, you know, complain about how Instagram has changed so much since it's been acquired by Facebook. So I guess how should we be looking at this like regular folk? Yeah, I mean, the attorneys fighting for this lawsuit say that users have lost out because Instagram and WhatsApp and Facebook are all essentially part of each other. It means that you have less competition, which means that if you like Instagram's features more or think Instagram is more private, gives you better data protection than Facebook, you know, in a world where these are two different separate platforms, you know, you don't have that choice because they're all connected. They say we would be much better off if we had, you know, more companies competing and, you know, companies really had to fight for your attention rather than just giving you what they do and letting you sort of be unhappy with it. Again, we're talking to Vox.com writer Rebecca Heilwell. Uh, so how realistic is it that this will go down and that WhatsApp and Instagram will become their own companies and Facebook will lose that? It's certainly possible, but Facebook is going to put up a significant fight here. Facebook's going to say, look, you already approved these acquisitions years ago. Facebook has been working on combining aspects of Instagram and Facebook for a really long time. This is, you know, this is a really, really big deal. And, you know, these lawsuits in general take a really long time. It's not going to happen next week. It could be years. So if you're someone who really likes Instagram and Facebook together, you should not be thinking this is coming anytime soon. And this reminds me of the situation that Google recently went through with Bing. And like they were saying that Google was kind of taking uh, the choice away being the primary search engine that folks were using. But like, let's play devil's advocate. If a company is automatically kind of slaying it and doing it right, and they did it first, should they really be held accountable for it just being like the people's, the average user's decision to use them over anything else? Right. I mean, this is you know, gets into the nitty gritty of why we have these antitrust laws, which were written, you know, decades and even century, you know, over a century ago, which is why it's, you know, so tough. But the question is, if you're, you know, if you're Facebook, are you playing the same game or are you tilting the game in your favor? Mm. Right. It's one thing to just be the most popular app when there are three or four other apps. And it's another thing to see competitors and say, I don't want to have to compete with you. We're going to make sure you don't exist. Snapchat, literally Mm. what they did with Snapchat. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. What should other tech companies be looking at right now? Should they be worried? I think the prospect that these acquisitions might somehow be reversed is definitely a concerning sign for other tech companies. But, you know, there are potentially smaller companies who might see this as an exciting opportunity to, you know, build out their own product and think, oh, we don't have to worry about Facebook anymore. There's a chance we might actually be able to introduce something new here without being killed off. Yeah, but it does seem like uh, TikTok 
has been in the, yes. the the rear view of Donald Trump. It seems like these social media apps are really being attacked by the government, right? So are we going to see that more often? And should be should these platforms be like nervous? Yes, I think all of these platforms should be nervous just because there's so much excitement on both sides of the aisle um, and with a new sort of White House coming coming in soon to regulate big tech companies. They, most people don't have positive things to say about big tech companies and everyone wants to do something. It's just not clear what route that's actually going to take, whether it's going to be this lawsuit, new legislation or something else entirely. That was Vox.com writer Rebecca Howell. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, coming up on the show, we've got the finalists for Time Magazine's Person of the Year and we're debating them. Trust me, we are. That's coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Time Magazine's editor-in-chief announced four finalists for the annual Person of the Year. Are you ready for this one, Ryan? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. And then we're going to debate it. U.S. President-elect Joe Biden. That makes sense. U.S. President Donald Trump. I have a problem, and I'll let you know why. Frontline healthcare workers. Love that. And uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Okay, so they're grouped together. Yes. And the movement for racial justice. Also have a problem with that as well, but let's talk about it. What what are your thoughts? I'll I'll let you start with the positive first. Okay, with all that said, let's go through this. uh, Because, yes, I'm not surprised about Joe Biden. It was historic, him winning. Uh, You know, I, I think it was pretty bold to say, you know, to put Donald Trump there just because he's had influence doesn't mean he deserves the he's honor. He's been the person of the year before. I think in 2016, wasn't he the person of the year? Like when he won his, uh, when he won the election, I felt like he he was the person of the year at one point. And I think for me, that's what irritates me about this idea of a person of the year because Time Magazine, it, it, they don't just do positive. Like you can do, you could have done something negative. Like I believe Osama bin Laden was a person of the year at one point just because he controlled a lot of the the conversation that year. And I think we need to reevaluate things where, why are we highlighting awful people doing, who have done either awful things and putting them in a running that is considered one of the highest uh, honorable things things to kind of have in the sense of like, yeah, they were a huge part of the culture in um, in the climate, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they deserve to have that type of recognition. And so this idea of one putting Donald Trump after so many people have died of this pandemic yeah. and he has known, it's, he knew about it. It's just like wild to me. Like, why does he deserve that honor? And then the idea of saying the, the movement of racial justice it's well, like black that's, lives matter. That feels, black lives matter. But that yeah. also feels like a blanket statement. If you want to say black lives matter, just say that. Just call out the people and the organizers who have shifted things and have been on the ground running, getting pepper sprayed, you know, shot with bullets, all these things. You know, say their names. Don't just wrap it in this blanket statement of like, oh yeah, we're gonna highlight the movement of racial justice like it just happened this year. No, it's been going on. Yes, listen, I I usually debate you. I pretty much agree with you on everything that you're saying. And yes, uh, Donald Trump was 2016 person of the year. I almost forgot. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, when you said that, I was like, really? Yeah. Uh, and to to bring it up now, it's like, is this really what we need? Of course, we know his influence, as I mentioned on this year. Of course, we know how involved and implicated he was. But do we really need to put his image up there to say that he deserves that honor? Because it is an honor, right? Uh, and it's, I think it's a decision of like what person of the year means. Of course, it, which uh, the editor-in-chief mentioned, it's not just the... They're not saying it's positive. It could be like... The it could be negative things, things. yeah. Negative. But then... Why why highlight that? Because for this person who we know is a narcissist and wants attention, it's going to be he's going to feel like it's because of of the positive influence, his importance. And so I think that you're setting a precedent 
for that as well. And like what we need this year is some positivity. We need to be highlighting the people that helped for the good of society. That's what we learned this year. Yeah. And as we wrap this up, I don't even think it needs to always just be positive, but I think it does need to be real and authentic. Okay. And let us know what you think. We always love to hear from you. Slide into our DMs, tweet us, Instagram us at LGT show on social media. Now coming up on the show, Biden ripped the GOP in their campaign against defund the police. The leaked audio next on what's trending this hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, the powerful essay around friendship as we age that will have you thinking about and possibly reconnecting with your childhood friends this holiday season. That is next. It's a, a really powerful conversation, so I hope you can stick around with us for that. Because friendship breakups are just changes in friendships and mm. trying to make friends as you get older is the most difficult thing. And so... I'm so excited that we get to kind of dive in on this really intimate topic because, oh my God, I felt the emotions boiling mm. up. Yeah, definitely. But let's get into so much trending this hour right now before we get vulnerable. Mm-hmm. An audio obtained by The Intercept, President-elect Joe Biden was unenthusiastic about executive action and warned against police reform before Georgia's Senate runoffs. Here's that clip. You've already labeled us as being defund the police. Anything we put forward in terms of the organizational structure to change policing, which I promise you will occur, promise you. Just think to yourself and give me advice whether we should do that before January 5th, because that's how they beat the living hell out of us across the country, saying that we're talking about defunding the police. We're not. We're talking about holding them accountable. Now, in that recording of the two-hour virtual meeting attended by Biden, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, and civil rights leaders, you can hear them urging him privately to take a bunch of executive actions. He seems like he's not into it, and he seems like he's worried about the narrative of defund the police as it relates to the GOP. I mean, I wouldn't say that I don't think he's not into it. I think it's he's looking at it from a uh, position of it's we're playing chess, not checkers. Mm -hmm. And so um, I do think he's listening. um, But I also think it uh, because, well, I do think he's listening. And I also agree with a lot of the things that the GOP were able to take defund the police and run with it and create a whole entire narrative when that it didn't mean what they were trying to create. And so I think he's like just trying to make people aware because a lot of civil rights leaders are going to make sure they're holding Kamala and Joe Biden um, accountable. And so I'm interested in seeing what he's going to do, but I hope he makes the right decisions and actually handles this because it's intense. Yeah, I mean, this was leaked audio. It's not embarrassing, meaning like I don't think it shows uh, something negative uh, you know, in terms no, he's of having Biden. real conversations. Yeah, and I, I think that's needed. And in the end, uh, it is uh, it is complicated, right? And and it's not going to be simple just to say, okay, we're we're going to agree with all of this and we're going to just go there. They need to be aware of what the other side is saying, and they definitely used defund the police, as you mentioned, and socialism against the Democrats in this election. They'll continue to do that. That's for sure. Now, 106 GOP representatives signed a brief sent to the Supreme Court in support of a petition by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. The petition requests that the Supreme Court grant an emergency order that would nullify presidential election results, declaring Joe Biden the winner in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, based on the crazy claims about mail ballot rules that are seen as bogus. That means that more than half of all House Republicans, by the way, have now endorsed Trump's attempt to overthrow the election and stay in power for another four years. Let's be clear. Half of all of the House Republicans have now endorsed this. And according to New York Magazine, uh, like other Trump lawsuits slated to overturn an election in which there's been no substantial evidence of voter fraud, the Texas filing is extremely unlikely to succeed. We'll see. And finally, a federal judge has held the Seattle Police Department and the city of Seattle in contempt of court for failing to end the indiscriminate use of projectile weapons and chemical irritants on crowds during Black Lives Matter protests. Judge Richard Jones of the Western District of Washington said Seattle police made four, quote, clear violations of a previous court order, which prohibited police use of less lethal weapons on peaceful protesters. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? 
All right. So we're about to talk about how, you know, we're still seeing black women not being paid what they're worth. And this is the T report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. Tiffany Haddish was asked to host the Grammys pre-telecast premiere ceremony, but the comedy superstar says she's turned down the offer when the Recording Academy told her that she had to pay her own way. Not only did they ask Haddish to host the three-hour live stream event without any compensation, but she also told Variety that they wouldn't even cover her hair, makeup, or wardrobe for the three-hour event. She said, all of that would have came out of my pocket. I don't know if this meant, um, if this might mean I might not get nominated ever again, but I think it's disrespectful. Um, and of course, that caused a lot of attention on social media. Um, today, the Academy's interim chief, Harvey Mason Jr., released a one minute apology via Instagram, blaming a talent booker for this insulting invite here's that moment unfortunately and without me knowing a talent booker working for the academy told miss haddish that we wouldn't even cover her costs while she hosted this event for us to me that was wrong uh, i'm frustrated by that decision it was a lapse in judgment it was in poor taste and it was disrespectful to the creative community i'm part of the creative community i know what that feels like and it's not right. So, yeah, sure. What do you think? I mean, the Academy, they got it wrong here. So, yeah, I actually was one of the live stream hosts for the Grammys. Uh, you know, actually the first one way back. Mm -hmm. And I believe I was paid. Mm. I was paid for everything. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm trying to remember. It was a long I mean, time ago. It's, if that's the case, it's so embarrassing. And Harvey, he said that he hated that that happened and all these things as we just heard. And so I don't know. This is not a good look. And yet, especially the, the, the superstar that is Tiffany Haddish. Why would oh, you yeah. even come with her, come to her with that type of deal? Like, that's awful. Yeah. It is a nonprofit, but come on. They're not like helping kids in third world countries or like solving homelessness here. No, it's but the they told Academy. her that she could get the, get a exposure and she's like actually i have enough exposure <laughs> so check out that story uh on more on the website at weirdchannelq.com and let us know your thoughts as always on lgt show everywhere on social media now coming up when friendships haven't been easy but you're just craving them during the pandemic the powerful story of one woman's friendship grief over a holiday gift exchange that's next Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. The pandemic is making us all realize the importance of our friendship circles. And for writer Christina Wyman, the gap in her life during the holidays has made this loss that much more present. She joins us now. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Great to see you guys. Yes, great to see you too. We were really inspired and moved by this powerful piece you wrote in The Lily. Uh, let's talk about it. Uh, you talk about this holiday gift exchange that inspired this story, it seems. What came up for you in that experience that made you want to share this? Just, I think, how I was feeling when, um, when I saw the gift exchange post on Facebook. And I saw, I mean, it was, it was immediate. These women were just hopping onto that post and wanting to be a part of this game. And they were excited and just... It was really nice to see, and I eventually said, okay, maybe I'll, I'll join in on this too. It sounds like fun. But a part of that process involves then posting that call for Secret Sisters onto your own page. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said, okay, I'm probably not going to have a Secret Sister because I don't really have Secret Sister kinds of friends. So it was it was sort of two pronged. I wanted to be a part of it through my colleagues page. But I knew that like that was the only aspect of this that I was actually going to get to experience because once I then had to post on my page, I just knew that it was gonna, there were going to be crickets, you know? Yeah. And I think you know, we've seen a lot of those social media initiatives during the pandemic, right? We've seen those black and white images that people have posted being like, I am a woman and I will support women or I am a man and I'll support men. But really, it just feels like for people like I feel like I identify with you in the sense, it feels like it can be very isolating if you seem like you don't have that part of your life together. Is, is that something that you felt being like, I don't have friends in the way that I thought I had friends? So in some ways, yes, I was thinking... 
I don't have friends in the way that I know I don't have friends. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I mean, I, I have I have a couple of friends and I've always heard about if you have one or two solid friends, you are golden, right? So I've always heard that. And that that's my situation. I have a couple of solid friends, but at the same time, I am haunted by these stories that I know are true for women who have just brought all of their childhood friends into middle age with them. And they go on vacations and they see each other often, maybe not this year, but they zoom often and they do these things and they know each other's secrets. And it's like, what is that? I, Mm. I don't even understand what that is. So, and I know it exists. I've seen it and it's really, it's, gut-wrenching yeah and I I think a lot of people can identify with that again we're talking to writer Christina Wyman who wrote this very powerful piece in the lily.com about uh, close female friendships and how they evolve over our lifetimes and I I think you we can identify with this no matter what gender we are right Mm -hmm. Uh, because we experience that with friendship we're either very close to people when we're younger and then we grow up together and we're able to move through different phases of our lives, or we move into those phases without those friends. And that could be hard, right, to handle or looking back and feeling like you weren't maybe the best friend you could have been. And all those messages that were not answered, right, um, of times you were supposed to get together and you just couldn't figure it out. Can, can you talk about uh, the fear around friendship as we get older? Yeah. Um, as far as I've experienced, I mean, we all, I think, carry a t- ton of baggage. So now I'm, for me, that's sort of a two pronged issue. On one hand, the person I am at 40 is not the person I was at 30. Mm. And that's a really, really, really good thing. On the other side of that, it's what, what if people knew about my past would, would that count against me in some way? And so I, and it's not that I have this sordid past. I don't, but it's like, you know, you carry a, a lot of baggage throughout it's life. And, yeah. And we're not proud of a lot of the baggage that we do carry. Most people, I think. And so I worry, like, what if, what if they knew all that stuff? What Would it be okay? And, you know, I just, I, this probably doesn't make sense. I don't know. But I have um, tremendous insecurities about, like, <laughs> the first 37 years of my life, Mm. you know, and I'm finally in a space where I think I am a good friend, but now the opportunities for that are relatively fewer than they were before. I mean, far fewer. I mean, I just literally, I mean, I'm like, am I 40 in my mind? Because I feel the same way, but what is your big, (laughs) what's the big takeaway for you and for, you know, our listeners and people reading this piece? What did you learn after writing this? I love that question because a, a couple of really amazing things happened after I posted it and it kind of got out in the world. And I started hearing from people that I had loved this entire time. And I just got off the phone with a very close friend who I don't need one hand to count how many times we were on the phone this year. I went to grad school with her six years of grad school. And um, we just spent 45 minutes or more on the phone, just catching up. And and today, for some reason, after this article, people just kind of came out of the woodwork saying they relate to this and feel the same way. It feels normal. It feels more normal than it did when I was writing it. Amazing. Well, Christina Wyman, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. Thank you. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up, we're giving you a sneak peek at one of the queer holiday movies to watch out for this Christmas. Uh, it's called Letters to Satan Claus, and it's probably not for your kids. Um, well, it depends on if your kids like horror movies, but yeah, I think you might want to keep them away from this one. <laughs> but it's it's fun. It's for all of us. So stay tuned for that conversation with one of the writers of the movie next. Uh, but first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Speaker Nancy Pelosi warned that the QAnon supporting Republicans headed to Congress pose a direct threat to the institution. But you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to deflect attention from the fact that he has QAnon in his uh, 
his delegation over there. Uh, and that, I think, is a danger uh, to in, in uh, terms of our debate here about what the possibilities are for an undue influence uh, to members of Congress. For some context, she was referencing the recent revelation that a Chinese spy had tried to exert influence over several members of her caucus, including Representative Eric Swalwell, who Pelosi defended, saying he did nothing inappropriate and attacking those Republicans, suggesting otherwise. Now, the FDA's advisory panel today recommended the emergency use of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. And if the vaccine is authorized by the FDA, the first shots could be distributed in the U.S. within days. Healthcare workers and nursing home residents would be among the first in line. A majority of the experts, 77% to be exact, voted yes when asked if the benefits of the drug outweigh its risks for people 16 years old and up. Nancy Masonier, a senior CDC official, said active surveillance systems will be in place to monitor the safety of vaccine recipients, specifically healthcare workers and long-term care facility residents, to track any potential adverse side effects. She said the systems will provide useful information about how the vaccine is affecting different communities. Okay, so that's a big deal. Yeah, that's a huge deal. I mean, I guess Pfizer is looking good. I wonder, what about Moderna? No word yet about Moderna, our Aunt Moderna, <laughs> but we'll be covering it as the news comes up. Now, a unanimous Supreme Court uh, ruled today that Muslim men who are placed on the government's no-fly list because they refuse to serve as FBI informants can seek to hold federal agents financially liable. The three foreign-born men claim in the lawsuit agents wanted them to inform on people in their Muslim communities. When they didn't agree, they were then placed or kept uh, on the list of people prevented from flying because they are considered a threat. The men have since been removed from the no-fly list. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so let's talk about how Dolly Parton, I feel like from saving the world with the, her her helping out with the treatment of Moderna, finding a vaccine for COVID-19, it's honestly like she continues to give us Christmas miracles because <laughs> Dolly Parton just saved the life of a child actress on set of her new Netflix holiday movie, Christmas on the Square. So Tal- uh, Talia Hill, she's a nine-year-old actress and dance cast in um, the film she revealed that Dolly saved her from ending up in what could have been a fatal accident um, here's what Talia told Inside Edition about the moment uh, she says we were on set and I was uh, at the hot chocolate station and they said go back to your beginning positions so there was a vehicle moving and I was walking and then somebody grabbed me and pulled me back and I looked up and it was Dolly Parton and of course Talia being like, oh my goodness, it's Dolly Parton. She was shocked when she realized it was her. All Dolly said in response was, well, I am an angel, you know, um, because she plays an angel in the movie. So seriously, is there anything Dolly Parton isn't going to be able to do? Like she's just saving lives left and right. Uh, she's pretty amazing. Uh, like, yeah, there's nothing bad you can say about Dolly Parton. And what an incredible p- person, like continues to hustle and do it and make headlines, even at her age. It's it's really incredible. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. Um, But that is your tea report. And that's all I got for today. But next, literally tomorrow, we got to talk about Jeffree Star, the beauty mogul who's being literally aired out. The drama's being aired out because Ooh. he apparently paid $45,000 to an accuser that recently uh, had a big sexual assault claim against him. So we'll be talking about that tomorrow on the Tea Report. Yeah, let's end it on a high note with Dolly yes. Parton today, please. Now coming up, the writer of Letters to Satan Claus joins us to share more about his queer horror parody of Christmas classics airing on sci-fi this holiday season. We'll be back in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Letters to Satan Claus is a horror parody of a Hallmark Christmas classics coming out on Sci-Fi December 19th. Plus, it features a queer cast in front and behind the camera. Here's the trailer. I wrote Satan by mistake when I was seven. Isn't that how old you were when your parents were hacked to Oh, yeah. Chad. What's going on? A monster took a mare. Yep, that was wacky. And, you know, I wish I was cast as the anchor role. The, the reporter. <laughs> Sorry, Shira. No. Nope. It's okay next time. You missed it. And now LGBTQ writer, actor, Michael Zara joins us right now to talk about the film. Thanks for being here. 
Oh, thanks. Boy, I, I used to be an actor. It's been a been a hot minute. So well, that was in your I'm, bio. So I took oh, it. Oh, no. Um, yeah, I used <laughs> to be an actor. Um, luckily, I love being behind the camera much more. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. Well, let's talk about this wacky sci-fi holiday film. <laughs> so Letters to Satan Claus kind of came from my sort of adoration for all the Hallmark Christmas movies. I um, think they're fun and like Christmas candy. You just, you know, ingest them and, and you know that there's going to be a happy ending. Um, but I thought it would be fun to do a twist on it and kind of parody it, do all the tropes, but also make it a horror comedy and, um, you know, have some some blood with our Christmas sweaters and, and, yes. and holiday chair. Which is so interesting, adding in the, the happiness of Christmas and the crazy, just goriness of a horror film. How was mm-hmm. that on set? Because I feel like that's really conflicting emotions. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it was, um, yeah, the, 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 the deaths are really over the top and very holiday-themed. Um, things that include candy canes and... Uh, Christmas angel cookies, all mm. kinds of wacky. It sounds like they're all food related, but they're not. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's a cross earring in there. Um, we we didn't want to be sacrilege by any means. I mean, this is obviously a sci-fi movie and over the top. So yeah, I um I, I don't know. I didn't I didn't look at it as sort of a, a, a in a Christian sort of way. I thought of it more as like the lead character is dealing with she had tragedy as a child that that happened around christmas so that's where kind of her mm-hmm. darkness comes from and you know there's a happy ending at the end of the movie i won't spoil it but there is you know she kind of finds her light again in her christmas joy and so yeah i never really thought of it as like this sort of um dark take on the holiday but yeah there is definitely a a a contrast for sure (laughs) again you're hearing the voice of uh writer michael zara who is behind letters to satan claus coming out on sci-fi december 19th uh but what we love about this because you know we could we don't just cover any holiday movie here on let's (laughs) go there we cover the queer ones uh and this one is very queer even though it has a hetero storyline can you talk about what's happening there sure yeah we the main story is is hetero ish um luckily we um i don't want to give too much away but there is a a trans actor who is a love interest eventually our lead actor karen knox is openly queer our director emma jean sutherland is openly bisexual and non-binary Emma actually had the idea to make Satan non-binary, which is yes. really interesting. It kind of reminds um, me of that Powerpuff character. If you watch the Powerpuff Girls and yeah. like the one mm-hmm. with the, the, the skinny heels, I mean, kind of like Yeah, yes. It's very, it's kind of like a really tall gremlin that's like, you know, cream colored. But yes. um, so, and then, you know, we have um, Alex Karouche, who is uh, openly gay and he plays Holly, the lead character's best friend. Um, and he has his own romance story that I really wanted to put in there. And, you know, I think Hallmark and Lifetime and Paramount, everybody's kind of going in that direction of being more inclusive. Um, I wrote that before those were announced. So yeah, we went balls to the wall. We lovingly poke fun of, of the genre, but also, you know, wanted to see ourselves on, on screen. Yeah. So is that something, especially as your career of, you know, continues to evolve, centering queerness seems like it's very important for you, right? Like you're really trying to make a place and saying, this is what we're doing and it's real storytelling. I do. Yeah. I think it's important. I think if you have a voice and if you get an opportunity like this as a queer person to write something, I think you should have, you know, if, 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 if it inspires you to, to have queer stories and queer characters. And yeah, the next thing I'm, I'm writing a movie right now with a, a queer director named Nick Verso and, and it's a very queer, um, actually female queer story. And, um, and we're having a blast writing it. Um, and that's another horror kind of horror comedy, but, um, yeah, I think it's really important. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to see what 2020, 
2021 brings in terms of queer stories that I hope I get to tell. Yeah, that was Michael Zara, writer and uh, sometimes actor, definitely focused on queer <laughs> stories. Check out his movie, Letters to Satan Claus, out on Sci-Fi December 19th. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the day. Yes, Queen. ABC 7 Chicago morning anchor Tanya Babic wore her glasses last week to make a point. And it's one that appears to have resonated across the country. You know, I'm a I'm a glasses girl, so I appreciate this message that she has for everyone. So this is what happened. She ended Friday's morning show thanking those who had reached out throughout the week to say they liked seeing her in glasses. She explained that one of her daughters wasn't wearing her glasses because she was worried about what people in her class would say or think about her. So she's making a statement by wearing these glasses now on her show. Here's what she had to say. Before we go, I just want to say thanks to the many of you who've reached out this week to say that you've liked seeing me in glasses and Some of you have also asked why I'm wearing them. Here's the story. I learned last week that one of my daughters was not wearing hers because she was afraid of what people in her class would say or think about her. So in a gesture of solidarity, I've been wearing mine all week to make this point. Whatever people say or think about you is none of your business. Just be yourself authentically and unapologetically. The rest will work itself out. You know, I just love this because it's sad to think how many children feel bad about just being themselves, right? And the story they tell themselves about who they are. And I think as adults and as a mother, it's uh, it was such a beautiful thing for her to do this, right? It was really right. Weird. I think what's interesting is I I grew up wearing glasses and I need glasses now. To oh, be really? quite honest, yeah, I was what? a. I most definitely grew up, I was wearing glasses literally probably from the age of five to um, when I was, a, until I was a freshman in high school and then my, my eyesight just kind of got better. But um, now as I've gotten older, I used to love wearing glasses. I never felt any weirdness about it. Like I never, I uh, fortunately was never bullied over wearing glasses. I always kind of really liked them and they were a part of my style and I kind of just embraced that. Mm-hmm. But I love that. Um, her mom is doing this for her on such a big platform, you know, and, and showing that mommies can do it and you you can survive it and we're going to push through and wear them glasses, girl, and sport them like you can. <laughs> yeah, and once again, it's a, a bigger message of like, you can't control what people are going to think about, about you and just like to love yourself. Uh, and I think starting that message young is the best thing you can do. I was taking notes because, you know, I, I want to do that when I'm a mom. I want to be that type of mom. So that's our Yaz Queen of the day. Yes, Queen. And coming up on tomorrow's show, it is Friday. We've got a special guest. We've got social media YouTube star Glozell joining us who has a new show out. We sure do. And then, of course, we have a genderqueer author, Jason June, to talk about his work writing a queer inclusive youth story. And I guess these youth stories that he's writing to inspire other queer youth. I'm obsessed with that and I can't wait to uh, find out more. Yeah, that's tomorrow on Let's Go There, live on Channel Key 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Remember, we post everything as a podcast if you missed anything. So check out our podcast on the radio.com app or where podcasts are available. Just search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. And stick around for Loveline. After this, where Dr. Chris will be covering signs of emotional abuse. Bye, y'all. Let's go there with Shira Lazar and Ryan Mitchell on Channel Q. On the next show, YouTube star Glozell has a new series out, and she's joining us to talk about how every setback is a setup for a comeback. Plus, what it's like writing queer-inclusive youth stories with genderqueer author Jason Jim. Listen live weekdays, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Channel Q, or on your own time with the Let's Go There podcast on the Radio.com app.